starting a rock band should only be done with the best of intentions. Playing the music you love so much, to be as close to it as possible in order to satiate your cravings and impulses should be the only thoughts in your mind. Any ambition for success or fame should be afterthoughts. It's a truthful and honorable approach that I can proudly say we started with. Most bands I like have shared this mindset upon inception too. It's what helps make the music truthful, genuine, and powerful. There's an innate understanding in rock and roll that all bands must pay their dues, summarized best in the ACDC song, It's a Long Way to the Top If You Want to Rock and Roll. Gaining credibility is essential in order to be seen as authentic, and that only comes with experience. It usually takes a band a few albums to start being taken seriously within the scene, after they've been thoroughly vetted and run through the ringer. It's an unconscious initiation rite of passage. If a band can withstand van breakdowns, sleeping on floors, bad food, no sleep, bad reviews, and general bullying from all sides of the fence, then, and only then, can the business of scene acceptance begin. And still, after all is said and done in this rock and roll game, if the cream can be separated from the run of the mill, it still doesn't guarantee it'll rise to the top. For our band, things happened in reverse. By some mysterious exchange of fortune, we shot out of the gate with bells on. We became well-known nationally before we even put out a 7-inch. And this lasted for almost two years. But as fast as it came, oh so quickly it disappeared. And then began the almost four-year trudge of fighting our way through label rejection, scenester repudiation, and general reprisal. Looking back on it now, it was necessary and consequently very fortuitous. We grew thicker skin. It allowed us to appreciate what was earned and proved that we were in it for the long haul, despite whatever would be thrown at us. No matter what critics have said about our band over the years, no matter what music industry insiders have tainted us with, I'd like to think our longevity has proved them all wrong. But what kept our morale up during successive years of near stasis were quiet markers that indicated to us we should continue be it a lukewarm review, an after-show compliment, or photos like the one I saw of Ron Heathman, guitarist of the Super Suckers, on their own website wearing our t-shirt in 2002. We started our band amidst the 90s rock and roll garage rock revival. Being from Toronto, four hours away from Detroit, allowed an even greater flow of Michigan bands to influence the scene. The Gories, the Dirt Bombs, the Demolition Doll Rods, the Detroit Cobras, the Go, and of course, the White Stripes. This scene, like every scene, had its principal players and lead groups. The John Spencer Blues Explosion from New York City, Rocket from the Crypt from San Diego, the New Bomb Turks from Columbus, Ohio, and the Super Suckers from Seattle, Washington. I got to know about the Super Suckers while they were on the Sub Pop label, putting out records like Sacrilicious Sounds and La Mano Cornuda. Despite the grunge tag that shadowed Sub Pop, the label was able to garner quite an impressive eclectic array of bands. Sure, they had Soundgarden and Nirvana, 
And sure, they teetered over to jangly indie pop from time to time, but a stable made up of the dwarves, said suckers, and later Murder City Devils and Zen Gorilla helped plant their feet firmly atop of rock and roll. Also, bands like Mudhoney, who seem to get perennially lumped in with the whole grunge thing, have always been a fantastic Stooges-influenced hard-driving rock and roll band, at least to me. After I saw the photo of Ron Heathman, there would always be someone every now and then telling me the super suckers knew of us and liked us. It was flattering to hear, especially since we'd been rejected by pretty much every American garage punk, rockabilly, indie rock, rock and roll label, and here was one of its chiefs approving of what we were doing. It was satisfying, to say the least. And finally, in 2005, an offer came through from the band to have us open for them on a short run they were doing in America that would end in their hometown of Seattle. As much as we wanted to do it, we we couldn't. Logistically, from what was already booked, we wouldn't be able to make the drive back with all our gear. The super suckers then bent over backwards, and all we needed to do was bring our guitars and drumsticks. We could use all their gear. That's a big deal for a band to do, especially the headlining band to do for the opening band. So how could we turn that down? And it ended up being a great tour for us to do, too. Singer and bassist Eddie Spaghetti is one of the greatest frontmen I've ever seen. I put him in a small group of frontmen who I can watch all day and where their banter rival their own band's songs. There's always a strange connection between drummers and other bands. When they meet, there's some sort of kinship immediately felt between the two of them. They all know each other, too. It's weird. Bassists, uh, on a lesser level, while guitarists each secretly think of themselves as better than the other. But when it comes to singers meeting and coming together, forget it. It's a breakthrough if we can talk about the weather with each other. Our egos loom so large, like invisible force fields smashing against each other. Usually behind closed doors, whenever dirt gets thrown around, it centers on how much the singer of the band is a total asshole. So, knowing this, I usually keep to myself, at the risk of being lumped in with the stereotype. At least, I don't have to deal with someone else's bullshit. But meeting Eddie Spaghetti was an honest-to-goodness mutual appreciation of what the other does. When I'd be on stage, I could see him in the crowd smiling, and it quickly became a game of trying to one-up myself in order to make Eddie laugh. And when the Super Suckers would go on stage, I'd watch from the side taking notes, and we'd both discuss the evening's banter afterwards. It was so much fun, something I've rarely gotten to do in all my years of performing on stage and touring. Last year, Eddie reached out and asked me to sing on their new album, which was released this year, called Get the Hell. I was pretty stoked. To be on a Super Suckers album with the great Eddie Spaghetti trading verses would be an immense honor. Something I take very seriously. But unfortunately, our touring schedule, coupled with their studio schedule, didn't line up. I wasn't able to get into a studio when they needed me to. And so... I had to bow out of the guest spot and let track number seven, entitled Gluttonous, stand on its own. It is hard to listen to when I do give the album a spin. It's hard knowing you're supposed to be on this song, and the song is good too. A month ago, when we recorded this episode, I went to see them play that night. 
I did end up singing two songs with the guys, but it wasn't gluttonous. And when they did play it, I felt a longing pang. I should have been on stage singing that one with them too. When he's not traveling around the world playing rock and roll, Eddie Spaghetti is a busy guy putting out solo albums and co-hosting his own podcast, The Spaghetti Family Podcast. It's one of the few podcasts left that I listen to and shows another side to the hard rockin' man we all see on stage. This episode with Eddie is a long time coming. I've been wanting him on forever, but like the recording of Gluttonous, schedules and circumstances weren't able to line up until now. So thank you to Blue Mic Microphones for the Yeti mics, thank you to Skull Candy Headphones for the Aviator Headphones, and thank you for taking the time out to listen to this episode. There's lots of podcasts out there, so I know everyone's time is precious. So thanks a lot for listening. Here's Nick Flanagan and I with Mr. Super Sucker himself, Eddie Spaghetti. There are points where Dan Bolton and Marty Chandler can be heard, so this is almost a group podcast. Anyways, Eddie's a guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. Sometimes Danko goes on and on about Glenn Danzig. The guy just loves Glenn Danzig. And I love that kind of passion, and, and that's why I love listening to Danko speak. Well, truth be told, I love that Danzig song, Mother. I like that too. Thank God for the Danko Jones podcast. Nothing will stop. Sorry, we're not. This isn't a radio show. We it's a podcast. Intros. We have yeah. great intros to the Danko Jones podcast. <laughs> this is way more professional than <laughs> usually than the impression we've we've given so far. Um, we were. I late. picture you always like in a studio with your headphones on and like in a you know padded room, right? With black foam walls and. Um, look. We'll go through hell and high water to get you on the podcast. <laughs> I have, what have I done to get Eddie Spaghetti on this podcast? The, the last time you were here for your solo show, uh, I showed up to the club with all my mics and my computer, but it just it wasn't working out. It was an impossible place to, to find somewhere quiet enough to do this. Yeah. I think it, it was at the Bovine. It was. It's a loud bar. It's There's a loud. It's a loud bar. Cocktails are being mixed. <laughs> right. We're in Eddie's... Uh, we're in Eddie's hotel room here, and uh, someone just knocked on the door. Ladies and gentlemen, Stan Thunderbolt. Stan Bolton. Hey, man, it's been a while. Hey. How you doing, buddy? Nice to see you. How you doing? You, we're recording. Okay. So, yeah. How you doing? Hey. Good I, could, I could complain. Of course. We Nick, all could. Hi. Nice to meet you, Nick. little interview going on here? No, it's a kind podcast. It's a just party. a loosey-goosey podcast. I'm Every a caveman, back to my cave, all this technology. Do you have any, <laughs> any, messages? Do you have any messages for the internet, Dan? Do you have any messages you'd like to send to the internet via this microphone? Do not disturb. 
<laughs> Dude, that's a fly to anything that people are doing What's out there. That's my, my thing. Housekeeping. Um, <laughs> another sign. Um, oh, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Thunderbolton. Yeah. All his glory. Oh, I'm clapping like it's old school Howard Stern. <laughs> like there's a bunch of people in here. Um, so, well, walk I mean, we are fellow podcasters. There's a few podcasts I subscribe later. to. See you guys later, man. All right, see you in a bit. Yeah. You guys gonna be at the show, correct? Yeah, we will. Yeah. yeah. Are you gonna get up and do a song or something, or? Why don't you guys know, talk we'll work about something this out. on your little podcast? Oh, we'll work something out. That we should. That, that we should do. Shit. Good luck. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll think of something. All right. We're all counting on you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I too have a, a podcast. Fellow well. podcast. The uh, com is where you can find my. Uh, my works with my better half. One of uh, the many subscribers, uh, I am one of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great podcast, and you guys have been doing it. You guys, there hasn't been a new episode lately, I, I don't think. No, we're a little behind right now. Okay. So we have, I think there's one that's on ice that we haven't put out yet, and then there's a, there's a Q&A again we're going to do again. So okay. what's we'll have your, to do that uh, soon. What's your schedule like in terms of producing the podcast like what's the ideal every week the ideal is we try to do one a week mm -hmm. but we've been way off that mark Three lately weeks, yeah. It's yeah i'm behind on the episodes anyways i, think I haven't I'm... seen him in years and i co-host this thing <laughs> yeah it's hard to get together right it i do i think i'm on like episode 25 or something so i'm a few episodes behind uh -huh. but you guys don't do really long podcasts so it's easy to go through two or three in one sitting anyways so. yeah yeah they're usually we try for a half hour but sometimes we don't get there sometimes we go way over did you have a model uh for the podcast like that you wanted to sort of not emulate, but just stuff that you like. Not really. Yeah. The only podcasts I ever listen to are Danko's. <laughs> and uh, I listen to that Mark Marin guy yeah, sometimes. Me too. And uh, and I listen to a lot of sports podcasts. Yeah. So like if when the Seahawks were doing really good last year, it was fun to listen to the NFL podcast. And mm -hmm. When the Mariners are doing good, I like to listen to the baseball ones. But that's because I'm a nerd. A sports nerd. Sports, a sports nerd. nerd, right. Yeah. Um, different kind of I, I remember before the Spaghetti Family podcast was up, you you texted me going, how do you do this podcast thing? Right, yeah. Right? I was kind of surprised at how complex it is to get it set up. Mm -hmm. Once it's set up, it's super easy, and you just funnel it through your system. But like to get it set up, there's all these things you had to register for. and See, I didn't do any of that. Our yeah. webmaster did that. Oh, well, yeah, you're we lucky. Have, yeah, there's a guy behind the scenes, Ole, who takes care of all that. But... I'm the one who edits all of it, all the content I take care of. But right. then he does all the, the rest of the kind of administrative stuff. And I don't know, today, yesterday, I got an email going. There's something about iTunes that they're switching something over. So I had to resubscribe to the podcast. So maybe that's something you guys should look into. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is like a thing going on with the Internet now that's a problem. I would say, <laughs> just putting a little personality into my delivery. Um, <laughs> okay, so YouTube, right, is owned by Google, and they can just change the terms of services whenever they want, and iTunes does this with every single update, right? So if they change something, that could mean you have to do a bunch of stuff over again. We're at the mercy of these digital overlords. Well, you yeah, save, what can we do about this? You save all your old podcasts just in case. Evolution. You've got them all archived. I'm yeah. assuming, yeah. yeah. So just in case the ship goes down, you can always 
kind of build it up again. Right. But <clears throat> have you noticed doing the podcast? Is there any kind of like on tour? Do people come up to you going, hey, number 27, man, what was going on last week? Or some, do they make <laughs> yeah, reference some, Sometimes they do, yeah. And it's always, it's always interesting to hear that people actually listen. Mm-hmm. Like, because, you know, it gets to a point where we just kind of feel like it's, I don't know, it's almost yeah. like therapy for me and my wife just to sit there and shoot the shit like that. Like, with the idea that somebody might hear it. Right. And, uh, it's been cool to hear people actually respond to it and like it and people give me shit because we're a little behind. <laughs> it's cool that I'm like, well, thank you. I'm glad that you care. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the PayPal button. Did <laughs> you care? This is a way to see some more of them faster. Hand me cash. <laughs> true, true story, right? Yeah. Um, JD also is an author now. She is. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it's a great, you sent me the book in kind of a digital format uh-huh. before it got released. So I read it and I thought it was great. How is it doing? What's it called again? The chicken and the... The turkey and Mr. Bear. Turkey and Mr. Bear. How's it doing? It's, it did really well, actually. The, the, her sales goal and she met it and surpassed it by quite a bit. So uh, Are you taking advantage of the whole Thanksgiving around the corner thing? Yeah, that was the idea mm-hmm. to put the book out now before Thanksgiving. And right. Even though it's, you know, it's for any holiday, really. But you know, Thanksgiving is the money shot for Turkey and Mr. Bear, for sure. Right. It's, a, it, it's an interesting thing when you kind of, because a friend of mine put out a children's book. And when you delve into that world, it is cutthroat, man. It is so highly competitive. It really so is. More so than anybody really realizes. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, anytime you put adults in charge of anything, it's going to get like that. But yeah. you, you don't think of the children's book market as being such a no. hard-nosed, Cut there's all through. these rules about yeah. what, you know, you're, you're self-published, so we can't do anything for you. Let me know when you get a real publisher. Right. And meanwhile, you know, she feels like she is a real publisher. She went through all the steps to start up this, you know, get her barcode and all that sort of yeah. shit and get it be totally legit. And... uh still resistance from uh, the powers that be. I know in writing for uh, children's television, there's like a lot of restrictions and stuff, but I wonder if it's a self-published children's book, do you like impose your own restrictions or was there some knowledge of what could go in there? You know, there's weird stuff. That's a good question because the the story is a little dark. That kind of stuff, you know? I mean, the story has a dark twist to it. Um, Yeah, there is a dark and third act to it. <laughs> yeah, I for mean, sure. it's inevitable. Right. I oh, mean, you, see, you, you see it coming. Turkey yeah. Story. Right. But I mean, what's that? Um, Henny Penny, the Henny Penny story. Well, old children's books were yeah. insane. Though, right. right. Yeah. And the the Grimm, those Brothers Grimm or whatever, those were, you know, yeah, and that's dark, the oldest stuff. dark tales yeah. for children. Roll like doll. the sky's falling Henny Penny, that story. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. What was yeah. Little Rabbit Foo Foo? That didn't go well, did it? <laughs> Little Rabbit Foo. I'm not going to sing it, but you know, Little Bunny Fufu was walking through the forest. No? I don't know. Song that. of the South? Might be a Canadian I'm just naming. Thing. No, maybe it is. There was a <laughs> lot of Canadian stuff. Actually, a lot of Canadian children's stuff was very dark, you know. Or Sesame Street, Mr. Hooper dying. That was hard for us to take. Does anyone remember yeah, that? Did he die dark. on the show? He died on the show. Yeah, they, died. they had to deal with it. I remember yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. I think nobody out there even remembers Mr. Hooper. If you want to watch a funny I video, Mr. Hooper, I don't remember him dying. He died, he and David took over the store. Getting back to why we're in a hotel room with you, your hotel room. Why are you here? You're on tour. We're on tour. Super suckers are out, uh, spreading the evil, which we've been doing a lot this year. Yeah, obviously noticed. How was Australia? 
Oh, it was great. Yeah, Australia was super fun. And uh, we did a European tour recently also that went really well. The Spanish shows were off the hook. And Was that with Nashville Pussy? No. No, it wasn't. We did one with them a couple years back. Right. Over there. What were the Spanish crowds like? Like, what was so awesome about the Spanish shows? They're just so into it. Yeah. I mean, they're just really there, and they, like, know the words, or, you know, they phonetically know where the words are supposed to go mm-hmm. anyway. And uh, it's just Call super fun to play now. there. And to, to go from wrong. there to France for us is such a letdown. Right. Like, the French crowds, you know, they show up, but they, you know, they kind of barely get into it, and they're just very... French about it. They want to have a conversation after the show. But they're, they're Nashville Pussy is awesome in France. They, they do go, amazing. They go France, nuts yeah. for them in France. What's I don't the logic? Know why. What's the logic to like what European country responds? You know, Blaine is the uh, Jerry Lewis of rock and roll. He is the Jerry Lewis <laughs> of French of French punk rock. Speaking of Blaine, though, we were supposed to be in a band together, you and I, with Blaine. Do you remember that? Yeah, years ago. Yeah. And it was supposed to be like this kind of rock and roll, uh, like garage rock and roll version of the Traveling Wilburys. Right. I think that's how he pitched it to me. <laughs> yeah, me and, too. And I think it was you. It was the three of us. Those were his first top picks. And then I think I mentioned Mick Collins. And then I pitched Mick to you, and you were into it. Oh, yeah. But I don't – and I think I even mentioned it to Mick somehow. Oh, yeah? In passing, yeah. But I don't think – I did. I never heard – from Blaine about it again. Yeah, it was one of his. He sent me some ideas for country songs a while ago. Him and I were going to write some hit country songs for other artists. Right, okay. And uh, that idea stalled out too. So, The Traveling Woolberries idea between you, me, Mick Collins, and Blaine, that, I mean, they were a five-piece band though, right? Yeah, there was like, we need, a, we need one more guy. I mean, who would it be? I mean, Harmar Superstar? <laughs> well, you can be the Orbison. Uh, you can be like Black Dahlia, perhaps. Oh yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that works. Hey, if this is a real thing, I'm in. Man. <laughs> yeah. That would be insane. Yeah, that would be really great. Just to get Mick Collins and Black Dahlia in the same room would be worth it. Yeah. Yeah, and then t- for them to be in the same band. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll feel like I'm photobombing all our group shots. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I got one of those along here. Like, <laughs> traveling Wilburys of every genre now. With, <laughs> with this, no one's done that. No one's actually uprooted that idea and taken it for themselves. We were get, we were on. Well, I was all I was all on board. Right. It's like wow, and this is like going back. Fuck, can I say like eight years ago? Maybe yeah. Revive it. Well, well we're, we're, it's what we're doing right we're now. We're doing it right let's, now, let's, man. We're wrestling it from the floors of the dead right now. And it's easier <laughs> to do now <laughs> because we could all just pass stuff through, through digital internet, files. Right, yeah. yeah. The <clears> internet so, makes any supergroup possible. Yeah. It's true. Skype jam. Yeah. But isn't supergroup <laughs> <Skype> jam? <laughs> like the commercials? Remember they from our record, <laughs> Skype jam. <laughs> well, that would be the video. Yeah, just <laughs> cutting from each of our living rooms. Feels like yeah. that. Like, bought, didn't Bon Jovi have videos like that in one of their like comeback periods? And, like, no, there's Def Leppard. Def Leppard yeah. had a video where uh, they followed a T-shirt, uh, and then finally that T-shirt was bought on eBay by this fan. And there's probably, I think, some tie into where it originally came from or something. Some Def Leppard rock and roll t- merch T-shirt. 
like a newer Def Leppard video. It must have yeah, been pretty a new, new one. Yeah, a new one. It references eBay. eBay, yeah. yeah. So I'm saying last maybe five, six years. Right. And then the girl buys the shirt at the end or something. And you follow the, the shirt's history when it was, you know, first sold and then who wore it and all this stuff. And then it's bought on eBay now. That's what it's come to. Def Leppard is now making nerd videos. Yeah. I have a joke. <laughs> All right. Did I mention Eddie? He's a stand-up comedian. Sorry. I just introduced him as Nick. All right. But he is a comedian. No drummers were armed in the making of this. <laughs> right. I got you. All right. I do have a Brick Allen story. We oh, played yeah? with Def Leppard last year. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, we played in... And uh, Rick Allen, I guess we didn't really, we used our dressing room before the show. And then after, I, th I don't know where we, we didn't really go back to it and, until the end of the evening. And so it had remained empty. And then when two of the guys went in, they realized Rick Allen was in our washroom. And I walked in and I was like, what the hell? You guys are just frozen. What, what's going on? Someone was in, he walks out and he did a number two in our washroom. To JC and our our our, uh, our tech Paul, and then he felt totally embarrassed. But he like, I think there was like a a moment of like a greeting. Um, but you don't want to shake the guy's hand, <laughs> right? Because you he don't. He was know, just wiping yeah, his he, ass. We just with knew that what hand. he did. Yeah, yeah, he found like a secluded toilet, and it was our dressing room. Fist bump. Maybe. maybe Chest maybe. bump. Chest bump, yeah. One less arm to get in the way. With Rick Allen, yeah. yeah. With Rick Allen, the uh, the drummer. Was he short? Was he shorter than you? No, he was our height. Oh yeah. Yeah, so he wasn't. He looks. I guess he looks shorter because, like, I think Joe Elliott's kind of tall, isn't he? he yeah, Joe tall. Elliott's pretty tall. Yeah, but that was uh, that was our run-in with Def Leppard. <laughs> and then afterwards, someone he sent someone to apologize on his behalf, which was nice. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's like some. Some. She she just knocked on her door and she's like, "Rick's really embarrassed, real sorry about that." And then later on, I was hanging out around their world, and Rick walked by me and he just went, <laughs> he "Just like shrugged his shoulders, laughed, and tilted his head, going, nah, I'm sorry." <laughs> right. So, so it was all it was cool. I'm like, "Hey, man." We got a story for life, man. Yeah, that's that's no not doubt. bad. That's one of those gross brushes with fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't yeah. hear about that much. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, that's my Def Leppard yeah, Orson Welles blew up my dad's bathroom and then his general <laughs> story owned in 1965. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, getting back to it, uh, how, how long is this tour? Uh, long. We don't get home until uh, middle of December. Mm. That is long. So uh, we're going to. That's gonna, like a long tour. Yeah, we started on the 22nd of October in uh, Vancouver, and we're going to go. We have like I think 17 Canadian shows and then a bunch of U.S. shows. So that's like, that's like two months. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, close to two months. Have you done a two month tour lately? Yeah, it seems like all the tours have been pretty long. We just did 27 shows in 27 days yeah. in Europe. So that was, you know. It wasn't two months, but it, it felt like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's really intense. It was a brutal schedule. Wow. Well, uh, that's awesome that you guys are doing a, a grueling schedule like that. Yeah. 
I call it grueling because that's what I that's the word I used when someone proposes that and I use that word in my email back to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear you there. Yeah. We usually we say, you know, we don't like too many days off and we didn't we, we never really expect a booking agent to take that that literally. Mm -hmm. Like they say they don't want any days off, so no days off. How's yeah. that for you as a singer having to sing a full set every night with no days to recoup? Generally it's fine. Like I don't have any problem i don't think i really sing in the right way you're supposed to sing so mm -hmm. the the damage is minimal i mean it's been years of the same right thing. i just do yeah. it i do it the same way every time and mm -hmm. it you know it does what it does and and it's generally pretty easy for me to do but uh i had like a couple of days where i wasn't feeling very well and i never ever get sick i mean i never ever get sick isn't that kind of like Making that statement isn't that? Aren't you oh. inviting someone? Like a fuck you to God. <laughs> I, I say it all the time. Though, okay, all and right. I, and I yeah. never get sick, but I did get sick for there was like two days, and I was like, man, this is what it feels like to get sick. It sucks. Yeah. And, so did uh, you cancel? No. Damn. I did it anyway. Fucking. What was it? What kind of sickness are you talking about? Sniffles or? Yeah, I, I, like I had like a fever? respiratory thing, like yeah. where it was like I was coughing a lot, and I couldn't get a restful sleep because I was coughing so much. Yeah. How about the fever? So you're exhausted. Ugh. Fever will flatten. No, no, it had no fever. Oh, okay, so. so you can power through that. Yeah. So just tired yeah. and coughing. Basically. Yeah, just my bones felt heavy and achy. And well, tour of that is like a brutal thing, though. You know, yeah, like for that. sure. We people, had long drives. Yeah, people mm -hmm. think you're just whining. Right. But when you got to perform and you got to put on the whole show, and it rests on your shoulders no matter what anybody says. Oh, and for the, sure. You're, the, you're the front man of the band. Right. The sleep thing is also such a big deal to know that you kind of like go home and then it's like you don't you don't reset it because you can't rest and then like the I get more day. sleep get... on the road actually. Oh, me too. By a mile. Yeah. Because I have three kids. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I, I get way more sleep on the road, like a guiltily a, a large amount of sleep on the road. How old are your kids? I have a, a two-year-old, mm -hmm. a five-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Okay. So when you do like a two-month kind of trip like this, like is that at, what's what's the conversation like? How is that kind of explained to the kids? Well, they know that's what I do. I mm -hmm. mean, this is all I've ever done. You just play life. Gone Till November for them? <laughs> right. <laughs> just, I'm I mean, Quattro gone, so, is, yeah. is your oldest. Yeah. And I met Quattro. Back in 05, uh -huh. when we played together, just you solo, we played with Turbo Negro. Yeah, in Portland. And I thought Quattro was what? He must have been, well, 2005, was he? Uh, five. He was five. Four. Four or five, yeah. Yeah, four or five. And uh, I guess I could say this, because uh, you know, people probably don't know the story, maybe you've told it, but he was walking around with... With Hank's makeup, you put Hank's makeup on it. I thought he was the coolest kid. Yeah, he was like he was really on, and I was like, wow, that kid is miles beyond. I didn't know kids like I don't like I I don't hang out with five year olds. I didn't, but he was definitely like he seemed a little um, um, older than you know. He's, he was he was keeping up with all us adults backstage. Right. You know, that's where he grew up pretty much. Was you know he spent his whole you know, four to, from zero to five, basically, or right. six, until he started school on a regular, he spent it on the road with me. So, I mean, he was very comfortable around adults and he still is. So, and that's a great quality to have in a kid. Cause so many of his friends, like they can't look you in the eye. They're like, hi, Quattro's dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they're like, they don't want to look at you. And he's very direct. I see him with other adults and he's like, 
looks them in the eye, shakes their hand, and yeah. meets people like an adult. And then I remember, I can't remember the city, but it was like when we were out on tour with you guys as the band, um, and I saw Quattro again. And I think Ron's daughter was there too, and he was so welcoming to her. These these like little kids, I, th I thought that was that was very memorable too. Like wow, he's like he can he can hang with the adults, but also he's very welcoming to like kids his age as well. Right. Yeah. I don't mean to go on about it, but I have gone on about Quattro to other people. Like, I'm like <laughs> you should you should meet Eddie Spaghetti, and in my head he's like five years old. Right. So and when I see photos from the Spaghetti Family podcast, I'm like. So that's Quattro? Oh, no, that's Quattro, the, right. the, the tall, like, teenager. <laughs> right, yeah. Right? He's a teenager now. Yeah, yeah. Surly, grouchy, grumpy, difficult to wake up in the morning teenager. Right, but right. Impossible to get him to go to bed, impossible to get him to get out of bed. Listening to what kind of music? Good music. Classical music, right, I would assume? <laughs> he's listening. To rebel? He, yeah. He's listening to, like, you know, he likes uh, the Ramones. Yeah. The Weezer a lot. Uh Super Suckers, Dubstep, Danko Jones. Okay, <laughs> so the Dubstep likes, hasn't entered. No, there's no Dubstep. There's yeah. no like pop music, yeah. like that whole era of like I don't know One Direction or whatever is not entered his world at all. He can't stand that sort of crap. So I was probably 13 or or 12 when I first heard Super Suckers, which is kind of interesting. Thing that your son is like also that age because I, I and I immediately was like I'm in because it was Smoke Smoke of Hell, Mano Cornuda, and I was just like. There was something that was like rebellious and and obviously catchy and stuff about it. So it's kind of interesting to think of that also happening to your own song. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. He but, he basically likes stuff that he hears from my record collection. So yeah, right, I'm right. good with that. Right. Yeah. Because I would think like just to rebel against your dad, you would just like get into. If if my dad was Eddie Spaghetti, I'd be like into jazz and. Right. Classical. I've been trying to think of the right because he's about at the age when I started getting turned on to music, mm -hmm. and I started trying to think of what was like the first record that I really fell in love with, and one of them was uh, Rumors. Yes. And uh, so I, you know, turned him on to that record, and he's been listening to that like nonstop. He's like, "Man, that's so good." I'm like, "I'm so glad you like that record because it's a great record. It only has like two songs that I would want to skip over, and they're the Christine McVie songs, I think, but." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. other than those couple songs, it's a fucking great record. Right, right. Oh, that's interesting. Um, because I, I honestly, I would, just rebellious nature, I would definitely get into just to piss off my dad. <laughs> right. I think that the real thing to do if your dad's a musician is just you go, I really like music. Yeah. I'm going to be. <laughs> I really a, like it. Uh, yeah, interesting. I'm I like movies, a, but I don't like music. Yeah, I actually, I want to get. I like TV. I like TV. <laughs> I don't like the music in the shows. Like, really. Just, <laughs> just, I just like the plot and yeah. I skip do you, over the. Do you trust somebody who actively says they don't like or listen to music? No, I don't think so. I mean, Neither. I need a. I mean, maybe just I would like admire their balls. Because if somebody is like that, anytime someone really gives me like a firm. I don't like this. I'm obsessed immediately with like, why don't they do this? How do they have this kind of willpower? You know, like, <laughs> right. like that. I don't eat ice cream. Don't eat ice cream. You know, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But there right. are those people who just cannot connect with music. Right. Yeah. They just can't connect with it. And there's something their brain is broken somehow. Yeah, and they they can hum a tune. For them. Like you know, they they know a tune, 
or whatever right. tune they're familiar you, with the idea of music uh-huh. right they know what music is and they hear it every day every time they listen to tv or watch tv they hear music yeah like they can hum the commercial or the the TV right. theme song, but they, they just, don't need to chase anything down. No, they're you not. Know, yeah, they're, exactly. They're not ever pretending they're like. Oh, what was that? Oh, right. Like no one, they don't care. Nothing turns. There are down. those people. I right. look at them like aliens, but I don't. I don't put them down as much as I used to. Is what I'm trying to get at. I'm, right. just, I'm trying to understand them. <laughs> what, threw, what threw me off too is is um, like the the hip hop attitude, right? The rap attitude often especially in like the mid 90s to 2000s suddenly became more like almost sports like it was super competitive and it was about you know being as good at, at that as possible producing as much you know practicing and it was like it's just an, it's so different like such a different approach to music than i'd ever seen right. before you know and it's like, right, yeah the rappers kind of brought stats into the game yeah, <laughs> yeah. they did stats and also uh, like this sort of individuality that was like different than say like frank sinatra or something it was it's, it's hard to explain like well this, that's the difference between sports and music i mean sports is very objective you have like specific numbers that you look at a guy's career and the numbers tell you the story mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's it's there's nothing subjective about it at all whereas music you know you can feel like yeah like i feel like the super suckers are as good as any band that has ever been mm-hmm. Any band, ACDC, the Ramones, Motorhead, I mean, I'm including every band. I feel like we're as good as any band has ever been. And we're just, our numbers don't say that. (laughs) But I can still feel like I can say that because it's a subjective thing. No one can take that away from you or the people of Spain. (laughs) Right. uh, You know. I don't know. People of France can take it away from you? The people of France have taken it away from me. The people have spoken in general, (laughs) and they don't agree with my assessment of the Super Suckers at all. (laughs) So there's that. Right. Have you ever found yourself on any kind of like a weird list? You know how like life is lists now, like musical reviewing is lists and stuff. Have you ever been like, oh, I'm on the list of like... 30 of the greatest 90s Seattle thing. You know what I mean? Like, No. No. Oh, I don't God. Th- I don't think we ever even make a list. Damn it. <laughs> I'd put you on a list. I'm going to write a list well, now. Didn't the Ramones only go gold last year? Finally, yeah. they went gold officially yeah. through sales and everything. That's yeah. a comforting fact I, I keep close. Yeah, for sure. You know? um, yeah, the Ramones have only been recognized posthumously pretty much. Yeah. I mean, they put out. They they never put out a really crappy record. Maybe Pleasant Dreams I was, I was is pretty gonna, bad. Yeah, there's a couple, but, I, but I ooh, I hesitate to say on on the record. But right, they tend uh, to have at least a song or two on a lot of their. Albums. Even the crappiest yeah. record has a KKK took my baby yeah. away on it. Yeah, or um, I love that song. Pet Cemetery is on one of those albums. Oh, that's later. what you're saying. Right. I thought you were putting down that song. No, no, that's a great song yeah. on a crappy record. Yeah, right, right. I just read Johnny Ramone's autobiography. I hadn't read it before, and it totally put me in a really good way towards Johnny Ramone because I was going through some sort of I'd made up my own canon where I was like yeah there's Joey, stories he took Joey's girl and he's just this mean he's this Republican meanie and he's just not nice to anybody that's and my then, assessment yeah and then I, when I read and that's true so I have to read the book it's true but then you read it and you're like well this is a guy who did have like an artfulness to him a plan and 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 I think a, a lot of affection even for Joey it's just like 
I don't think there was any way. I don't think he was correctly communicative. There's no way yeah. for him to appropriately show it in his masculine code. Yeah, that's, would that's exactly it. not allow him to show mm-hmm. any sort of affection or appreciation right. yeah. for anybody. And, uh, I have a great Johnny Ramone story. Okay. We were on tour with the Ramones for a brief period in the mid-90s when we were on tour with White Zombie. The Ramones were the main support and we were the opener. And so we were on tour with them for like a week. It was the whole reason we took the White Zombie tour to begin with. And uh, so... Johnny comes, we're backstage playing poker with CJ a lot on that tour because CJ was great and we played a lot of poker back then. So we were playing poker with CJ and he, Johnny would come back to our room. You guys mind if I stand in here? I'm like, no, of course, you're Johnny Ramone. You can stand wherever you want. We're happy to have you here. And he's like, yeah, okay. What's going on in your dressing room? Yeah, Joey's in there. Or what's he doing? Is he warming up? Or is he, no, I just fucking stand in there. I'm like, and you can't be around I can't be around that fucking guy when he's just standing there like that he's just fucking standing there <laughs> so we're going to go on stage and I realize I don't have a pick and he like he's like here take take one of these and I'm like look at it it's like one of those fender plastic picks that I know I'm gonna break immediately yeah I'm like I'm gonna break this I, I thanks but I'm gonna break he's like you can't break that pick I've been playing these things for 20 years or whatever and he's like I never broke one I'm like all right I'm gonna break it I'm gonna show it to you and I come back, I, I break it like the second song and I have to grab one from Dan or whatever. And after the show, I go, I'm like, check it out. It's broken. He's like, man, you're a fucking animal. <laughs> That's awesome. So Johnny Ramone called me an animal. That's amazing, <laughs> man. That's awesome. Now, do you have that pick? You still have it, Yes, right? I still yeah. have it. Fuck, that's, that rules. Yeah. That's an amazing story. It's one of those white picks that say Ramones and like the type letters across the front of it. Oh, so it does have the Ramones on the pick. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I thought it just said it. Fender Heavy. <laughs> no, but you can I can never I, prove it to anybody. <laughs> right. I, you know, you can totally tell that it's oh, that's so cool. Ramones sanctioned material. That's um, so cool. All right. Yeah, I got I to gotta go. You got to go, man. Yeah. I don't want to. It's all good. Thanks, man, for doing this. Right on. Thank you, Danko. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, <laughs> Nick.